This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. It is the end of July, and it just seems like the year is racing by. Um, And it is before we end the month. It is National Culinary Arts Month here in the United States. So that's basically saying, you know, be um, happy for the people who make food amazing um, and creative and fabulous. And I'm so excited because we're talking to someone today who actually lives in one of the culinary uh, capitals of the world. Um, And so I want to go ahead and get started because I want to get as much of a talk in as I can with her. Carolyn um, Ishin is an author of fiction and nonfiction works. Sunrise Over Paris is her first novel, but not the first book she has published, and other, other being French-language books about digital platforms. While radically different and a lot less fun to read, it led her back to her true love of writing. Not quite an American in Paris, Carolyn has lived most of her adult life in the suburbs of Paris after growing up in Southern California. Even after so many years abroad, she's still fascinated by the cultural differences and the food. Um, she especially enjoyed doing all the hands-on research, hiking and dining for Sunrise Over Paris. You can find Carolyn at her website, Amazon, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Goodreads. And her book, Sunrise Over Paris, is out now. So welcome to the show, Carolyn, or what I, I would say bonjour to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> or should I so tell me, yes, yes. Um, and we could go, I, I could do a little bit. And, you know, I remembered quite a bit when we went to Paris a few years ago. Um, my daughter did an exchange program in Aix-les-Bains. Um, nice. And so we, we flew into Lyon. And the funniest thing is, you know, we're in, we're in San Antonio. So we love our Spurs, our basketball team. And then um, I went to the University of Texas, and we were in baggage claim, and there were these gentlemen there talking, and then one of them made a, like a, said to the other one that's, a, we call it hook'em horns, because it's hook, longhorn, Texas longhorns, and so he said, okay, mm-hmm. see you later, hook'em horns, and I was like, what, I thought we left the United States, <laughs> and then... <laughs> Like a couple of moments later, there was somebody who had a Spurs jersey on and was like, it was just, it was just bizarre. Um, but anybody who talks oh, about... That, that they were just wanting you to feel at home. I guess so. It was really sweet, you know. Um, but it, it's interesting because people always assume, oh, well, you went to France, so you must have just gone to Paris. And I'm like, well, we did end up going to Paris after that. But there is a world outside of Paris which is, you know, it's not just that city. It's this massive country that's got all of these layers of, like you have, food and history and everything yeah. else. I mean, what was, when you first started living over there, um, what was your first, let's say, outside of Paris type adventure? Well, when I first went, I, I did a junior year abroad. Okay. So um, only I was broke, so I could only afford a junior <laughs> semester abroad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I was really lucky. I went to Aix-en-Provence, which is in the south of France, very close to Marseille. Mm-hmm. And it is the most beautiful city, just gorgeous. And I stayed with an old lady 
who um, actually I did put her in my novel. Um, Very old world France, um, loved to cook. And the person she she had before me was a vegetarian. So that was hard for her. And my parents raised me to eat what is put in front of you. That's right. And since she and she was a great cook, I'm a great eater, so we got along real well. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> I mean there were a few things like um, the very first day. The very first day I was there, she had her nephew and his family over for Sunday lunch, and okay. um, and she. Like there was, a, I don't remember what the first course was, but the second course was some sort of vegetables, potatoes, and then she brought out this thing, and swear, swear to God, it looked like a dog poop on a plate. Yeah. It was yeah. like this big round circle, like circle within a circle within a circle, with a little like uplift at the, and it looked like a poop. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to be a good sport, but wow, this is beyond my comfort zone. So I tried to discreetly ask the kid next to me, it was, it was like 10 or 12 years old, I tried to ask him, what is this? Yes. But I wasn't real good in French yet. So instead of saying, so in French, I should have said, qu'est-ce que c'est? So what right. is this? And what I actually said was, qui est? Which is, who is this? <laughs> And the kid laughed and laughed and laughed and, you know, fell off his chair kind of laughing. And his mom yelled at him once, twice. And then she said, well, you know, what's gotten into you? And so he, t- he told everyone. Sure. And everyone else laughed and laughed except the old lady I was staying with. Sure. And, you know, I was thinking, geez, I haven't even been here a, an hour and I've already made her angry. This is not going to go well. And it turned out, you know, we talked later, and it turned out that she was angry at them for making me uncomfortable. Oh, okay. Which was very sweet of her. Wow. It was. Very sweet. For certain. Yeah. So what was the dish? Blood sausage. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Which is kind of harsh to give to somebody their first day in the country. (laughs) Well. But she probably didn't think anything of it. I mean, it was probably just a typical dish that they had, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for her, very traditional French cook, so everything was traditional. Traditional meal. So that was just a normal thing for them to have. But, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought you were going to yeah, well, I thought when when we went and we met the host family, they had us for dinner, and they're at the base of the Alps, and it's July. So if anybody's been to France in July, you realize that they have a long day. Like, it's light until 10 at night, and the sun's up at like at 6.37. Least, at least. It's a long yeah. day. Um, but it was just like perfect weather, and we're at the base of the Alps, and they, they give us a, a dinner al fresco, which was lovely. And but every, so you know, you start with the champagne, and then you have the wine, and you have the cheese plate, and then they bring the vegetables, then they have the the um, the meat, and then they brought mm-hmm. out this, you know, loaf looking thing, and it was a dessert, and um, it was some sort of chocolate tort type 
moose something. I don't know, Ooh. but it was literally like they had gone to heaven and said, I need a dessert, and they just gave her this, <laughs> and she made it. Nice. I mean, it was just and she made it. Wow. amazingly good. Yeah, she did. The the girlfriend made it. Um, so it was it was so lovely, um, and they were very sweet. I know that um, it's amazing how, and I'm sure, you, and you have it in your book too, and, and amazing how food is kind of this common ground. Like you might not mm-hmm. understand each other completely, um, but it's that common ground, like it's neutral territory, the food itself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it can be. It can be because I've yeah. seen, um, how can I say, I've, I've been around some picky eaters. Sure. And I've been around some people who um, sometimes you wonder if they're just trying to attract attention by being so difficult. Yeah. Sure. Or um, sure. But 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 I guess it goes back to what I said earlier, where you know my parents raised me to be polite and to, to at least at the, at the dinner dinner table. Yeah. Um, you know I was taught to taste everything, and if I'm a guest, then you you know choke it down and say, "Mmm, delicious." Right. And and by doing <laughs> that, you actually end up you know when you're ten years old, it's a problem. But later in life, you realize what a gift they gave me. Because because I was taught to try things, mm-hmm. my, you know, the, the, the range of things that I enjoy is just so much larger than anybody else. And right. Like, well, maybe not than anybody else because it sounds like you're a good, a good sport too. Well, yeah, and it was interesting because I told my daughter, I was like, you know, if you want to try some different stuff, please do, you know, because I, I can't cook the way they cook. Um, but it was very different, interesting, because because we're from Texas, and Texas has its own kind of, um, you know, mythology about it. Um, mm-hmm. When she got over there, they said, make us something that you eat at home. Um, well, they didn't have the same spices, a lot of them. Uh, yeah. You know, so she was trying to make guacamole with lemons and like almost no salts and gar- you know, it's just like they were just like you eat yeah. this and she was like yeah but you know this isn't the same um, and you know the avocados were a little bit uh, they weren't mushy yet and I mean there's just you know there's there's all the different yeah. things but they were trying you know um, and so she was like I'll eat whatever you have and you're right it's that experience of being immersed in the everyday thing which is what those programs are about. And just gives you a very different perspective of and how good for her. Just, how good for her you were able to do that. You know, we fell into it. It was through Rotary, and it just kind of came up last minute. But yeah, we did. And one of the things that happened when she was there was it was um, so in, eight, in uh, 2018. Well, it was a hundred years since World War One had ended, and apparently mm-hmm. this town was like a natural hot springs. So it was like a, it used to be kind of a getaway for a lot of the affluent to go and have, you know, spa stuff. But apparently mm-hmm. since it was up in the mountains, a lot of the German tanks, none of the German tanks could get up there. So this is oh, where yeah. a lot of the Allied soldiers were taken to recover. And okay. they had like 100,000 come through uh, this town. So then they had this huge celebration of, you know, the end of World War One, 
and my daughter plays oboe. So they said, well, if she can bring her oboe, she can be in the community band for the celebration of it. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So it was cool because her host dad played trumpet in the community band. So she couldn't take her oboe, um, but they found her an oboe. She brought her reeds. And she's, you know, here she is 14, and we're thinking, we left, just left our 14-year-old over in France. Um, but uh, <laughs> she said that they were all very sweet, and she was still learning numbers, and so measures are numbered. So she was trying mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, if they said number 76, she's like, okay, wait, hold on. Um, and they were always started joking about, we're waiting for the American to catch up. Um, but that month she was there, she said she understood a whole lot more. She wasn't quite as confident about speaking it, but she could understand it, which is a huge thing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and she got um, to be there when they won the World Cup, too. Ah. Uh... Yeah. And that's always a big deal. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. It's not my yeah. thing, but I've gotten stuck in several traffic jams during the World Cup. Because <laughs> <laughs> they all, you know, everybody goes out in the street. And one time, they oh, do. my God, I think it was when um, the Portuguese team won. And so it was, you know, the Portuguese community in Paris was all filled. Yeah. You know, traffic is at a stop, and people, kids were actually, like, walking over the cars. Mm-hmm. Luckily, they didn't walk on mine, but, yeah, I mean, it was just crazy, just crazy. We were in, um, right before that, we'd gone to Geneva. Um, my grandfather had passed away, and they had lived in Geneva for a while, so we took some of his ashes and um, to put in Lake Geneva, and oh, Lord, I hope that's okay because now I'm saying it on you know international TV, you know, podcast. <laughs> I probably get a two hundred dollar euro fine in the mail. But um, so we had to. It was very small. Um, so we, we you know put them in. But that night they had won the world. They had won the quarterfinals. Like they had beaten. Okay. Switzerland had beaten. I'm trying to remember Croatia maybe, but I mean. We had just finished dinner, and we are going to go walk around. And, man, the whole town went bananas, like, like you're saying. Like people were driving around and honking their horns and yelling and, you know, running yeah. up and down the sidewalks. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. If you didn't know what was going on, people would be like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? So, um, well, considering yeah. I'm not a soccer fan at all, <laughs> yeah. you know, for me it's kind of more of an annoyance than anything else. Uh, but it's good for national but unity. It, Years ago, I read an article yes. about how um, World Cup football, as they call it here, has sure. averted many world wars. The purpose of these kinds of competitions are really to, to let out all the nationalism, all the pent-up nationalism, so that we avoid getting into wars afterwards. Nice. Nice. I don't know well, works, I'll take but... it. You know, if that's what we have to have, endless soccer or endless football um, <laughs> tournaments, I'm, I'm all for it, you know. If it keeps military people safe, <laughs> no one gets blown up, I'm, I'm good. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they have a good time in the meantime, so that's good too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's always very interesting to see something unite uh, a group of people that are complete strangers. Um, yeah. It's it's charming and lovely and it just, it gives me hope, 
you know, for all of us. Um, but yeah, and it's, it is fun. It is a lot of fun to see games and, and watch it. But so when you went over as a junior in your college, college, right? Not high school, but mm-hmm. college. Okay. So, right. so I was what, older than your daughter. So you're from California. You go to mm-hmm. France. You're there for mm-hmm. a semester. You come back, you graduate, and then what? I mean, I went right back. What brings you back to France? Yeah, I mean, what, what brings you back? I loved it. That yeah. semester, <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I really enjoyed, I, I'm from Riverside, California. Um, mm-hmm. I like Riverside. I, I enjoyed being there. But when I lived in Aix-en-Provence, I felt like mm-hmm. I was home. Like, yeah, I just felt that 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 was my place, and um, I don't I don't know how I can describe it, but I mean it's not like there was anything wrong with California, because I mean there's a lot sure. of great stuff in, but but I just somehow yeah. it just felt right, and that was for me. So the whole year that I was my whole senior year, I did everything I could to find a way back, and so I got a Fulbright scholarship. And, oh, nice. And, um, well, big, big disappointment because in the U.S. it's a big deal, but right. in the whole rest of the world it doesn't mean anything. So, <laughs> so between me okay. and the high school where they sent me, there was a big disconnect in terms of our expectations. Okay. And you know, okay. I, I was young and surely not mature and surely did not handle things well. But they sent me to this town in an area in France that even the French don't know. Um, <laughs> it was like being in the, you know, really deep country. Okay. Um, with everything. I mean, I don't want to use the word hick, but, you know, that's what we're coming sure. down to. They, they were hicks. Um, I ended up doing, like, to give you, to, to, to tell you how bad it was, um, I did a translation for the cattle market in that city. Okay. I mean, okay. did you know that there are different words, scales, like when the when the animal can stand up on its own volition or if it can no longer stand up, there are different words for those scales? Huh. Like, who knew? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, okay. learn something new every day. I mean, it was like to thank me. This is going to be another foodie thing for you. Um, <laughs> to thank you for my translation. They gave me a tour of the cattle market, and you know oh, it was cattle okay. market, but it was still like cattle, sheep, goats, and whatever else. And sure. um, and they gave me a little as a surprise. They gave me a meal, so breakfast mm-hmm. at eight a.m. in the morning. It was tripe. Oh wow! And that's a it's, it's like right up there with blood sausage. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And luckily, yeah. luckily they drink a lot of white wine when they eat tripe. Oh, sweet! So that was the only time in my life that I was drunk by eight thirty. Because I was trying so hard to eat that tripe. Oh man! Wow, tripe and white wine for breakfast. Mmm, breakfast of champions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> But that was hard. Yeah, I think that would be a hard one. It was a very hard year. Yeah, I I would, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so you end up in Paris at some point. What brings you to Paris? 
Um, well, actually, at the end of, well, during that year where I was so unhappy, I met the man who had become my husband. Okay. And we did get married soon thereafter. And his first job after his compulsory military service, because they, have, they used to have that in France. So his first sure. job after the military service was in Paris. So um, I followed him there, and we Sweet. started our life together. Okay. And, and you lived there and for I how many years? I lived in a big city. Um, pretty oh, much wow. ever okay. since. Okay. So, you know, without telling you how old I am. <laughs> sure. More than 10 years. <laughs> but more than 30 years. Okay. But, um, <laughs> not, not too much more than 30 years. But we also spent about sure. four years down near Nice. Okay. Okay. So that was that so, was pretty great too. So you said that this brought you, you know, these wonderfully um um dry, I guess you could say, um, you know, French language books about digital platforms, but it brought you back to writing. So what what was the catalyst to get you to go from writing obviously nonfiction, um, to saying, you know what, I think I wanna write a fiction book. Well, my dream as a little as a little kid, I had always dreamed of becoming a writer. Okay. I mean, that, that had always been my dream. And then, you know, life happens, things get put on the back burner. And, right. Um, and then when we were young married, my husband had an experience, a, a trip to Milan, a business trip to Milan. Okay. Which went really badly, and it was just hysterically funny, and even more so when you know who he is. Sure. And and I had always wanted to write that story, but okay. it always sound, seemed just like too big and too hard to do. And by writing the nonfiction work, um, I actually, you know, got back to the pleasure of writing, but I also got into the process of writing. And so I right. did the typical thing of, you know, breaking it down into, you know, sizable or, or smaller chunks and then just doing one chunk at a time. And um, and so so really, you know, I had the dream and then I learned a bit more about the process, which then made that first story doable. So I don't really want exactly. to tell more about what happened to my husband because that would be a total spoiler for part three. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, and we don't want to do that. We hate people who say No, that. no. So, I mean, and now we're to the book. So ex- tell me about your book, uh, Sunrise Over Paris. I had a ball writing it. It was so much fun. Um, <laughs> I did, you know, I wrote, I wrote a first draft, and that was already okay. quite hard for me. It took me over 18 months. Yeah, over a year and a half, maybe closer to two years to get that first yeah. draft. That first and book is I like sent, that. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping the second won't be as hard, but for the <laughs> moment, I can't say that's my experience. <laughs> but so, um, so I had done my first draft, or to, to got it to where I thought it was good, and then, and then I sent it to four people, you know, friends and family in the U.S who graciously accepted to read it and give me feedback. Okay. And we did that like two or three times. And um, each time I integrated their 
suggestions as much as possible. And then, um, and you know, the, the problem with doing it, doing it that way is you're working with people who like you or who love you. Sure. And so they're not necessarily the best critic, the best critics. Right. You know, they maybe aren't as hard on you as they should be. And, um, or on your writing rather. And then sure. I, I was able to make a contact with someone, an alum from my college, who is a published novelist, and she accepted to read, like, the first two chapters, and she slammed it. <laughs> it was, I was, like, harsh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. through crying, <laughs> I found, a, you know, a, a third way, which is I went on ReadZ and hired a professional editor. And um, and I really lucked out, um, if I can say her name, Lindsay Guzardo, super okay. editor. Um, she was like my coach, my cheerleader, my editor, um, the person managing managing my syllabus of required reading. You know, she gave me different books that I she wanted me to read, so we would have a common vocabulary for discussing what she felt needed to be done. Um, and we basically re worked the entire action or the entire chronology of the book. Right. And, um, and, and changed the structure radically. And in doing so, you know, we cut out parts that she felt were too slow. We added in new parts. Um, and it was, for me, it was a really good synergy because, yeah, she she wasn't so critical that I was, you know, just – paralyzed, but yet she was critical enough to push me to become better. And um, I, I learned a lot working with her. But so yeah, I think that's, that's the, that's the balance. Yeah, that's the balance of, you know, rip it up, tell me what I can do better, and then then it's ripped up. And it's like, ugh, okay. But, I, but to, be, to be honest, um, after that first few times of someone doing that, you almost, I almost look forward to it in a way, in a weird way, because I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, if it's good, or I, I need to know brutally, because reviewers will be brutal. Um, mm-hmm. So for anybody who's truly, truly serious about writing a good book, you always, whether you go through an editor, I mean, whether you go through a publisher, or you are you independent publish, you always, always, always get the good editor because that's where yeah. your money is going to pay off the most for sure. Um, and so, yeah, it is. It's a process. And you have to find the right editor for you because it can't all be, um, and it sounds like you have, but it can't all be, this is terrible, fix this. It's, okay, I see what you did here. This is good. Let's do this. And, I mean, yeah, it's it's a process mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's going yeah, to be hard. hard for the editor to find the right balance. Yeah, because in the beginning she um, she didn't really make suggestions with actual okay. sentences or actual ideas. She was she was more of, I feel like this is too much. How how could you make it be more blah blah blah? And toward the end, she was more comfortable with saying, "Why don't you just write this?" Yeah, <laughs> which of course then I you know took her idea and then changed around a bit but but so 
there was also in our relationship it can you say it matured over the process of the book oh for sure yeah I, I think you learn how to talk to each other that's effective for certain yeah yeah, and, and realizing, you know, with the distance, because she's in the U.S., I'm over here, it was a lot by email, so mm-hmm. that makes it a bit harder as well. Yeah, I, I yeah, I get that part for sure. But it sounds like that she did um, wonderful uh, edits and inputs and yeah. everything else. Your reviews have been great. And Thank it sounds you. like you're very Thank happy you. with your story. Yeah, I am. I am. You know, the crazy thing is, um, I don't know if you have the same thing, but my first goal, really, originally, I just wanted to write a book, you know, write a novel. And then as I started to get toward the end of it, you know, toward the end of that first draft, writing a novel wasn't enough. I wanted it to be good. Yes. Exactly. So, like, my, my goal had already changed. And then after deciding, you know, after working on it for so long and deciding, yeah, it is pretty good. I think I, think I did a, a good book. Um, then you want to publish it. Then you want to – it's like this sliding goal. So you never yeah. quite achieve everything you want. Well, I think, you know, have, that have you have all that happen? Yeah, I think that it's like, okay, I just need to make sure this chapter is really amazing. Okay, now I'm going to make sure the next chapter. And then, and then it becomes the whole book. Then you go through and edit. And then, of course, you do you know, book cover or whatever and, and you know, the whole thing. And so it's like you're saying, you learn to break it down in chunks. Because if mm-hmm. you, tr- tr- I mean, for me, trying to absorb this whole massive project um, in one sitting is just like, it makes me shut down like I don't think I can get anywhere versus, you know, like I'm going to clean my entire house instead of, okay, I'm just going to work on this closet. (laughs) Okay. Now that's done. Now I'm going to do the next one. And it really is like that. Yeah. You put it so well. Yeah. Um, Because I figure all of us would have the universal loathing of uh, house cleaning. (laughs) So it doesn't really matter where you live. It's not fun. I don't enjoy it. Weirdly, I do not like to vacuum. Okay. And that's not okay. even the hardest thing to do. I, you know, it's interesting, certain you. things that, yeah, that I just, I'm just like, ugh, I don't want to do this. Um, I think it's not, for me, it's not um, doing the laundry. It's it's folding all the laundry and putting it away. <laughs> that's my thing. Oh. Like, <laughs> well, one of the things I do, and it's kind of common here, is, I hang my clothes out to dry outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's every time I can, it means we have good weather. So that's already a big thing. And, sure. Um, and when you take it out later, it smells so good. You know, so I think I, would, result, I might I enjoy it more that way. That. Yeah. Well, since I know smell I'm going to get that perk, then. Right. Right. You know. Uh, yeah. I, it, we're in uh, San Antonio, so I feel like if I put my laundry out, it would dry, like, way faster. <laughs> it's been so hot. <laughs> like, just, well, like, yeah, where open you the are, door. You could even do, like, two hours and you're good to go. Right. I mean, there's some days I'm like, and I open the door and it's dry. There, we're done. So, <laughs> <laughs> all finished. Which is good. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got your first book. Now, mm-hmm. are there more in the series? Are you going to continue this? Or do you have other characters you've been working on? What's the plan? So I, I have been asked by several readers to do the sequel. Okay. And I am toying with that idea. Okay. But before that, there's another novel I want to write. And I'm okay. actually having a really hard time getting started. It, it's very personal. It's about a very hard yet emotion yet emotionally hard but very rich time in my life. Okay. Um, it's about the the last two weeks of my mother's life. Okay. And um, and it was it was a crazy moment, but it was one of those times when. It was just like the meaning of life, well, that was it. Those two weeks, that's the meaning of life. Sure. And um, and I really want to be able, to, I want to write that. I want to, but what I want to do is very, very complex structurally. And I'm having a hard time. Yeah, I might just be biting off more than I can chew. But it's something that I really want to do. So it won't is be it, fun and lighthearted yeah. like the first one. Sure. Sure. Well, those those moments in our lives are certainly we have to dig pretty deep, um, and it's just kind of like laying your you know uh, what is it putting your baby on the block basically. I mean, you, it's that's your heart, your memories, and and it's it can be um, as as happy to remember them as it is painful. So yeah, I can see why that would be a much harder project can, from like a 180 from the sunrise over Paris project for sure well it was it, it's happy and painful all at the same time sure and um and there were some moments that were hysterically funny you know which just goes to show you can laugh at anything but oh, for sure. um, and it's yeah it was just very very intense and rich and you know, i guess you would say the whole tapestry of life sort of thing um, right. I had taken a writing class, an online writing class, and one of the for one of the homework assignments, you know, we had to like post something we had written, and so I had I had written the very very beginning of this novel, and I had posted it, and then the other people, the other students would critique it. Yeah, and I got very good feedback, like excellent. Wonderful. Feedback. But, well, that's a positive um, start. Well, it's one page. <laughs> Hey, one <laughs> page at a time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as somebody wrote on her website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was, website, and if I can ask. Way. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> was uh, your mother's passing unexpected? Um, no, my mother had had a stroke, and okay. she was um, in a wheelchair for two years before she okay. then passed away. All and right. so... Um, so the the actual end itself came a little bit faster than we expected, but you know it wasn't un, it wasn't a surprise. Okay, okay. And how long ago did this happen? Um, I knew you were going to ask that question, and I I'm so bad with dates. <laughs> I want to say eight years ago. Okay, but I want to say eight years ago. That would be about right. But I'm eight or nine years ago. But I'm super bad with years. Like, I can tell you what house yeah. I lived in at the time something happened, but not the year. 
Well, I mean, that, that does give you a time frame, though, because I'm like, oh, no, we moved from this house. It's, it's like we've been going up trying to go through pictures. It's one of those projects like, oh, I can't go anywhere. Let's see what I can work on. Um, and, you know, I have this, oh, I'm going to go through all the pictures of the kids and uh, you know, kind of categorize them so I know where to find them. And um, it's, you know, my husband will say, well, when was that? I'm like, well, I know it was between here and here because that's that house, you know, where they're sitting. I can I can see, like, the kitchen or the backyard. I know where that was. Um, so I know mm-hmm. it's this time frame. Um, and it's it's interesting how we can say, oh, that's right, that was that. So, um, But, yeah, it's still, a, it's still a time frame of time. So you know at least it was between these dates. But what I don't know, I, I don't know how people, you know, people who don't move often, like I don't yes. know how they, uh-huh. have, how they timeline their lives. Yeah. Versus how to, um, if you're in the same house yeah. for 30 years, how do you know <laughs> what year it was? Right. Well, I mean, I guess, too, you would go by clothing or um, ages of the people around you. Or you might just be better at oh. this than I am. That could be too. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's all um, it it all depends, I guess. I mean, I, I guess everyone has their own their own methods. Um, I mean, we were laughing hysterically because my father-in-law had all of these slides, and my husband said, "Well, let me take them and I will scan them," because he decided he was going to get these this little digital they have them that you can like put slides in and it'll digitally scan them and the mm-hmm. one that you could do like a hundred um was like wow. a ridiculous amount of money for us at the time so we got one that you could do one at a time so my husband just every day just said like you know 20 of them and he's scanning all these slides and he sends it to his dad and it's just stuff like there's a tree it, there's a tree and he doesn't even know and it's faded <laughs> Because it's sitting in a closet, but there's no people. It's like we kept it's like, where are the people? You know, like if if somebody found this from some ancient civilization in a thousand years, it'd be like, were there no people on the earth? It's all just no people. Um, they were all just a very shy course, bunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's like he took a picture of this tree or this, you know, whatever, and and we were laughing because it's like there's no people in this in this world um and and we'd ask him well what is this he goes i don't know (laughs) (laughs) what about this house did you recognize this house well maybe it's the you know it's just like okay well you know but he was happy it seems like a good idea at the time (laughs) yes i will remember this tree yeah i mean it's not like it's giving your your father-in-law it was very sweet, you know, because my apparently my father-in-law went through all of them, you know, um, to see wow. all these different pictures. And and it, it's interesting to you know you go back, you go, oh yeah, that's right, you know, uh, some of them because they'd have buildings, and he would remember, oh, it was this building here when we went to this thing. Um, but I always find family movies very interesting, especially the eight millimeters or you know when before there was even sound because um, there was. One where my husband was showing a picture of them camping. And, um, you know, there's three boys and my mother-in-law and my 
step I mean, my uh, father-in-law. And I'm laughing because he's like, oh, yeah, here we are. We're running the campfire and everything. And, you know, scans over to his mom and everything. I just started laughing. He's like, what is it? I said, did you not see the reaction on your mom's face? And he's like, no, what was it? It was literally like, if you don't get that camera out of my face right now. Um, you know, because <laughs> I think she had had it. At that point, she was done camping. Um, but she wouldn't, wouldn't say anything, but it was that look of, I'm going to stab you in your sleep. <laughs> Get that camera out of my face. Oh. But, oh my God, but he was looking so at funny. it through eyes of a child who had been there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those and it, pictures and it really are... really brought back the moment in a powerful way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when you were writing um, these the story and you have all these places around Paris that are not as commonly visited. I mean, you ha- obviously have the touristy ones, but I mean, I think yeah. what's fun is those little nuggets of places that people may not think to look or that little shop there, that little place there, um, you know, you. weaving that in, it's a big deal. It makes it, it just layers it more beautifully. I mean, how did you know, I guess this is part of your editing process, but knowing how to layer in the little known places versus the, you know, the obviously tourist ones. How did you know that balance, that recipe? The balance, I don't know that I knew. I just did. So if I got it right, or if you think I got it right, then thank you. Um, You're welcome. It was, it was all by accident. Um, (laughs) But I did do a lot, a lot of research you know, despite sure. the fact that I, you know, I've lived here a long time and I know Paris well, um, I did do an awful lot of research to to make things as true as possible. Sure. And um, because I do enjoy novels where you can really mentally follow the person along the path. Right. Um, I, I like that a lot. There's... Um, I don't know if you ever read The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. I haven't, but I will write that down. It, it's, okay. it's one of his easier works because some of his stuff okay. is really difficult. Um, I read it in college. And um, part of it happens in Southern California. Part of it happens in Northern California. And since okay. I was in college in Oakland at the time, um, I knew really well but the areas where he was talking about. And you really could follow, you know, down this street and take a right and then go on the bus station and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And um, and it made it very enjoyable for me. And so I oh, wanted for sure. to offer that enjoyment as well to my readers. So so a lot of those details, most probably 98% are all true. Okay. Because <laughs> um, there's one bit I had to kind of, to make it work, but, okay. um, but I'm not going to tell you which one. And um, yeah, I did, I did a lot of research on that. Um, something that's really fun in Paris for anyone who comes, you know, once we're able to travel again, if you're sure. a walker, you know, a hiker, there are actually yeah. three hikes that you can do. Um, two of them are west to east, you know, okay. going on the northern half of Paris or the, the southern half. And then there's another one that goes north to south. And they're about 20, okay. 25 kilometers each. 
and it takes you through some really fabulous neighborhoods, really, really fabulous. So I knew some okay. of this stuff already because of going on those hikes, and then others, you know, had to go find more. Nice. Well, I will write so, that down so and put it on Paris, my list of things you know. to do. Yeah, when you come, I will. On a hike. Ooh, that's exciting! Yes, I would love that. We do. We do. We um, for lunch. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that. And wine is involved, I'm sure. Of course. Of course. This I mean, France, that's just like there's wine. <laughs> of course, there's wine everywhere. It's awesome. Um, and I think the thing that really I love that about that is it's the um, it's this uh, what's the word? Um, it's it's like nobody was. I mean, people were obviously in a hurry. There were people that were going and going and trying to be somewhere, but it wasn't in the sense of. Um, the, the franticness, like the, the angry traveler, I guess. Um, it was, yes, I'm going to get there. It's going to be fine. All good, you know. Um, but again, I mean, I, I just may not have met that person that day when we were there. But it doesn't seem, time is, the, 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 the measure of time is different in the sense of how it's perceived, I see, that when we were there. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's if that's fair. a valid, okay. Um, yeah, and it was, fair. it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, a frantic thing. So, um, which was, which was lovely. And we did walk a lot. Um, and so word of advice for anyone who's planning to travel somewhere, but you plan to walk a lot, do not use that opportunity to break in new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing the, not the a word good of experience time. here. <laughs> yes. It is not a good time to do that. Um, and, yes, uh, cuteness does not trump comfort. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. be sure and be, yeah, yeah, for sure. Be comfortable. Yeah. Walking um, shoes are important. They're in Paris or, or in other cities. Even when you visit mm-hmm. Versailles, there, there is a lot of cobblestone. Yes. And you do not want to be wearing heels and even less stiletto heels on cobblestone yeah you know, you'll, you'll break your very ankle. it was interesting to see the outfits i'm like man you know i just nobody on your instagram is going to see your feet <laughs> i'm just like wear tennis shoes <laughs> it's fine <laughs> i promise <laughs> it's gonna be okay oh uh, yeah well seriously seriously I, yeah I know it's crazy. So for anybody that's been listening, I've been. This is Patricia W. Fisher. I've been talking to Caroline Ishen, and I did say that right, correct? Did I say it correctly? It's Caroline Ishen. Ishen. So Thank I think you. Asian. And Asian you, with a lisp. Okay. Okay. Fair. Um, and you spell her last name E Y C H E N N E. And if you want to find her, she's on Amazon, her website, LinkedIn, Facebook and Goodreads, and I have all those links in the write-up of the show, and her book, Sunrise Over Paris, is out now, and you can grab it on Amazon, so please do so, and please come back when you have your next project going, and we can talk some more. I would love to hear about it. I would love to. I would love to. Thank you so much, Patricia. I've had a ball with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Merci beaucoup. (laughs) Je vous en prie. Ah, 
There we go. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> this has been, and this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. Keep on reading, everybody. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.